When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I love being here every week. And it's no different tonight. I'm going to be joined in just a moment by Abby Newman. And Abby is a nurse, an attorney, and CEO of Mission Kids Child Advocacy Center of Montgomery County, which is here in the Philadelphia area. And she'll be with me in just a moment. Uh, Be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our Contributors, on-air contributors, bringing you information and inspiration from their own fields in health, education, finance, technology, leadership, and diversity. And be sure, as always, to check out our website to see our lineup and and get in touch with myself or any of our contributors at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T, and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and love for you to uh, follow us there as well. So now I'm very honored and um, thrilled to have with me in the studio Abby Newman, the CEO of Mission Kids, a child advocacy center here in Montgomery County in the Philadelphia area. Abby, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Sue. I was digging into you and your background and doing my research and just so incredibly impressed, number one, with Um, what you've accomplished in your life, because as a a professional, we know how um, challenging that can be. And um, you not only got a nursing degree, but you went on to law school, and you're now a CEO. So I I was tweeting out today that I've interviewed a lot of people in those different areas, but not one woman who's done all three. (laughs) So this is going to be challenging. Um, But anyway, as we always do, we, we start with your beginning. And I, you know, really want to kind of connect the dots between the little Abby (laughs) and the work that you're doing today. So you were uh, born in Long Island, New York, Mm -hmm. the second um, oldest of six children, which tells me right off the bat, usually the older ones of a large group of siblings has to kind of take the lead. Um, Tell me about your upbringing and and what you described as a very strong gender identification roles laid out. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I grew up uh, in a middle class area. Uh, further east on Long Island than most people think about, uh, Smithtown area in Suffolk County. Um, we were six children, 
four boys and two girls. I was the second oldest, uh, and my only sister is eight years younger than me, so there was a very large age divide right there. Um, there was not a lot of extra money in my house at all, and in fact, my mother needed to get a job outside of the house uh, in 1970. I guess I was 11 or 12 years old, and that was a major problem in my household. My father and my grandfather had a very difficult time having the wife and mother of these kids working outside of the home. It mm. was seen as a, as a real shame for them. Mm. Um, so there were real gender lines that were drawn, which were pretty normal for that time. But we needed the money. So my mother was a very strong woman, is a strong woman, went out, worked outside of the home. She actually ended up with two jobs, a, bar, a job during the day and then one in the evening. And my father had a full-time job. And so the kids were very much on their own second oldest and I was the oldest girl by far and so a lot of as you just uh, were alluding to uh, the caretaking ended up actually falling on me at a very young age and it just it was what it was yeah so that's mom is not home and dad's not home when you how old were you when she had to go out and about 12 work so you're about 12 okay so that's kind of the age when girls start babysitting Mm -hmm, right and mm -hmm. you know you weren't little but they had little ones under you yeah yeah yeah. what um what did your dad do my dad was an insurance company manager okay and what did your mom do what was the well she she was secretarial so she had worked as a secretary before she had kids and then she had kids and she left the workforce and so that's what she went back doing she was a secretary um, full-time during the day eventually, and then at night in a psychiatrist's office. Wow, that's, that, that's a lot. And yeah. then she came home, and, of course, job number three mm-hmm. takes over. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Tell me, can you think of w- what uh, was the greatest impact your mom had on you in, in what you do today? What did you see in her that stays with you? That you do what you need to do, and you have to do it. You get it done. Just get it done because there's really no other option. You do what you need to do and you get it done. Yeah. Did you, were you close to your mom in a way that you got to see beyond what she was just doing to get by? Yeah, it was actually very interesting because uh, the job that she had in the evening in the psychiatrist's office as a secretary receptionist, when I was in college and I needed a part-time job over the summers and during the school year, she would find a way to let me get into that office and work part-time and make some extra hours and some extra money. So I actually got to watch her in a professional role, mm. which I don't think a lot of a lot of kids get to see their mothers doing or their fathers, for that matter, and see her interact with the psychiatrists, with the doctors in the office, and with the, with the, her other peers in the office as yes. well. And were most of your friends, mom or dad, home? Yes. yes. They, they were pretty much all home. Yeah. In the 70s. Yeah. yeah. Early 70s, <clears throat> 70s. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so tell me, at what point did you decide to go to nursing school? I had wanted to be a nurse, I think, from a very young age. Um, And I think probably because of the gender roles, it was still at the time where the most common things for girls to do would be nurses, secretaries, teachers. Right. Um, And I remember even way back when taking a typing class in high school and my father and my brother saying, oh, what are you doing that for? You'll never get any place taking typing. Little did they know with the advent of computers, I can type, you know, they're now all (laughs) left in the dust, the guys that didn't take typing. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, when you say that, I too can type very, very fast. Mm -hmm. And I remember my my typing teacher in high school saying, you'll see one day why you'll be glad you did this. Uh Um, And, you know, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but there's so much to cover. You then, uh, well, you were in pediatrics. Yes. Tell me about that, working with with children that are sick. Um, I ended up not out of choice, just by happenstance. I applied to go to one unit. Um, It was at a large teaching hospital in Manhattan. 
uh, and ended up, the day that I got hired, they actually moved me without telling me to a pediatric oncology unit. Wow. Um, so it was very intense, very interesting. In some ways, some of the most satisfying work I've ever done in my life and the hardest work I've ever done in my life. But um, there wasn't anything really talked about at the time about really why nurses would burn out and how to deal with trauma or that there was secondary trauma involved with being a, a, an oncology nurse or a nurse, frankly, of any kind. Um, and so after a few years, I needed to get out of the field for my own mental health. I would mm-hmm. lay awake at night just thinking about children that I had seen pass away, uh, that I was taking care of, worrying, did I give the right medication during the day? And so I realized I needed to make a change. Wow. So most women or many women, I would imagine, would be at that point and thinking, perhaps I'll go and become a consultant or, you know, um, something other but in the medical field. And you said, I'm going to go to law school. Yeah, that was by mistake, too. It's amazing. (laughs) Things just kind of happen sometimes. And I really look back and think things are meant to happen for whatever reason. I thought about going back and getting the courses that I hadn't taken and maybe going to medical school or nurse practitioners were first coming into vogue at the time. Did I want to get a master's degree in nursing? And a friend of mine who was also a nurse said, let's go to law school. And I said, why? And she said, so we can sue doctors. I was like, well, all right. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like fun. (laughs) So uh, I took the LSAT just to see that I could never be a lawyer. And lo and behold, I had good scores and I applied on a LARC and I got in. Oh, my gosh. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, that was it. Listen, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll pick up with that. Stay with us uh, during the break to hear from Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem and Holly Dowling for our Leadership Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, I'm Dawn Zier with today's CEO Watch. Today, let's talk about business ethics. I believe if you don't define your culture, it will define itself. An accountable culture sets the stage for how a company will behave in good times and bad. It defines how a company acts and what we expect from our teams. And that tone must always start at the top. When I speak with students, I like to tell them that we face ethical decisions every day, and it's important to get the small ones right now. It builds critical muscle memory, so you're more apt to get the bigger ones right later. What you don't do is often as important as what you do do. With ethics, the easiest decisions are black and white. But there's a lot of gray areas where one could justify a questionable decision or action. If you find yourself justifying your position to yourself, Re-examine your motives and remember there are lines you just should never cross, no matter what. This is where you must be vigilant as a leader to ensure you set the right tone at all levels of the company for high ethical standards. I'm a huge believer that corporations that don't drive toward a culture of accountability often find themselves adrift and unable to navigate through tough times. There are too many examples where companies have been rocked by scandals tying back to ethics or accountability issues, the CEO removed, and shareholder value significantly eroded. Even though all public companies are under significant pressure from Wall Street to perform, a win at any cost culture will ultimately sink you, and abuse of power will as well. Companies need guardrails in place as to how they will operate, rules around how to conduct themselves, and a zero-tolerance policy around unacceptable behavior. When it comes to ethics, you don't get credit for getting it right most of the time. You don't get three strikes and there are no second chances. One could say as executives, we're held to high standards. I would argue not true. We just have to do what's right. And remember, what you don't do, again, is as important as often what you do do. 
Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here for CEO Watch. Look forward to speaking with you next Sunday. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch this week. So many of you listening, as a leader of others, as a leader in life, you are called upon to give presentations, to speak to others, whether it's small groups or large groups. And one of the things I'm most passionate about is empowering and working with individuals around the world to really help you enhance your presentations, your presentation style, as well as the presentation message. And presentations can be facilitation as well. It's, it's one of the buckets that I like to spend time in my business offering up my services. And so today I want to share with you in a very short amount of time, two nuggets that you can take away. If you're expected to give a presentation this week, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour, and this can go for both virtually or live. Trust me when I say what makes the message stick. In other words, what's making that message sizzle? Because trust me, ladies and gentlemen, people will not remember 60 minutes of content. Our brain is only equipped to remember on average seven minutes for every 60 minutes of content. So number one rule, please don't present or offer information that's speaking at people for more than 60 minutes. And make sure that in that seven minutes that you know they're gonna retain, what are the visuals you're using? Use pictures, stop with the heavy text, presentation skill PowerPoint. Nobody's winning from that. You are not and your audience isn't. They're, you're actually putting them to sleep, whether it's on a webinar or live. Use visuals and pictures. And what story are you bringing in that metaphorically is an analogy or story that's going to make potentially that boring content stick. And if you want to know more on how to do that, I would love the opportunity to coach you, whether it's a group of you or individually on how to create powerful presentations and make your message stick. Reach out to me at hollydowling.com. Love to hear from you. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Abby Newman, the CEO of Mission Kids Child Advocacy Center of Montgomery County. And um, we're, you know, we're going through your life story and it's had a lot of pivots and a lot of twists and turns, nursing school and then on a whim, <laughs> law school. <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> um, clearly, you're, you're, you must be a good student. Because retaining all of that knowledge, right, first yeah. in nursing school and mm -hmm. then in law school. And I know for myself, mm -hmm. that would be incredibly overwhelming. Um, I always liked learning. I liked school. I liked learning. I really did not enjoy law school. That was not a fun time. Learning and going to law school, I did not find fun. And again, talking about why you do things. One of my daughters recently said, why did you stay? And I said, I'm not really sure mm -hmm. because I didn't enjoy it. I, I loved nursing school. I loved college. I loved the learning that I now do later in life. It was just a, a means to an end, I guess. Well, 
in the back of your mind, perhaps, did you have what I can do with this law degree? Yes. I knew that it would open up doors for me that were not open otherwise. And I really was so naive at the time. I had no idea what those doors were or were not. Mm. Um, But yes, I did think that it would open up doors that I didn't know about. And that's why I stuck with it. Which is a great example of... um, being open to opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. And and following sure. what you feel in the moment is the right thing to do, whether you know where it's headed or not. You got to follow whatever your inner voice is telling you. That's exactly right. Have to do it. Yes. So for 20 years, you specialized in medical malpractice defense. Yes. Um, did you face any discrimination as a woman in that field? Oh, gosh. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't recognize it as discrimination. Um the interviews that I had for the job at that law firm where I ended up becoming a partner and, and really spent a good portion of my uh, professional life, one of the questions I got on the interview from a male partner was, how is your husband going to deal with your long hours? <laughs> um, do you intend on having children? Do you intend on staying here when you have children? Um, one partner, one senior partner told me, I, he saw me in the elevator one day and I was carrying those really large, heavy trial bags. And I was kind of moving around, and my shoulders were hurting from them. And he said, are you okay? I said, no, actually, I'm, like, having back pain. And I'm thinking that he's going to, like, offer me some way to get this done, offer me somebody to bring the bags over to court for me. And he said, oh, that's a problem. If you can't carry your bags, how are you ever going to be a trial lawyer? Wow. wow. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> there were those moments. Yes. Um, how did you handle, the, you know, when you would be in a, a situation like that, did it fester with you, or did you just kind of blow it off and say, you know, I, I know that I'm doing a good job, and that's all that matters? I, I think, you ha- again, you had to blow it off, because if I had given a smart aleck answer to the question of how does your husband feel about the long hours you're going to have to put in, I wouldn't have gotten the job. Hmm. So you were always put in that situation of how do you walk this line of being a professional and getting what you want out of the situation while not allowing it to really weigh you down and feel demeaned. Now, during those years, was towards the end, mm-hmm. were you starting to feel a little unsell- unsettled in uh, your law work and being an attorney and starting to think, um, there, you know, there's something else that I'm, I'm meant to be doing? Yeah. I, I mean, I was getting gratification in a lot of ways, and I became a partner at this firm, and I was the first part-time partner, so I ended up breaking through some glass ceilings, which was very gratifying. Mm-hmm. But I did feel like I wanted to do more, and there was um, the first woman partner at that firm was about five years older than me. Um, and one day it was announced at a very young age for her in her 40s that she had malignant melanoma. And that was awful for me to hear. And all that went through my head is, oh my gosh, knowing what that meant as a nurse, nobody ever said on their deathbed that they spent too many hours in the office. And I wasn't being as fulfilled as I thought I could be mm. in a job. So that's when I started thinking, okay, there's gotta be something else now. I don't know what that is but there's got to be something. But I remember very clearly that that was a, a pivotal moment for mm-hmm. me. So did you, so in 2008, you mm-hmm. started um, as the founding executive director of yes. Mission Kids. Yes. Did you seek that out or did that come to you? No, that came to me. I had left the law firm a couple of years before and I had gone to work at another nonprofit, just a very minor role, just to learn what nonprofits were about and how they worked and what they were all about. Um, I learned a lot in that role how not to run a nonprofit, so every experience is worth something. Yes. Um, And Risa Vetri Furman, who was at that point in the district attorney's office in Montgomery County, had this idea that she wanted to start for a nonprofit, and we were talking in a totally separate situation. 
she asked me what I was doing and what I was interested in doing. And I said nonprofit. And she knew my background as a nurse and she knew me as a lawyer. And she said, I'm, I need an executive director for this project that I have in mind. Are you interested? And I was like, I don't even know what you do as a district attorney. What could you possibly have in mind? And she described this concept of a child advocacy center. And I said, I'm in. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Were you apprehensive at all because taking on this role and knowing what you were going to be dealing with and seeing every no, day? No, I was really excited. Were you? I was really excited um, because it gave me a chance to build something that would really make a difference to a lot of kids and a lot of families. Um, and if this agency weren't here, the child abuse would still be going on. They just wouldn't be getting any help. Mm. Were you surprised by the numbers? Yes, I was shocked by the numbers. And when we first opened, the those in the field told us that when Mission Kids was rocking and rolling and we were five years out and really well established, that we would be seeing 250 to 300 kids per year in Montgomery County max. Well, now we're seeing double that. Within three years, we were seeing 300 kids per year. Uh, and now we routinely see about 600 kids per year. Can you tell our listeners what mm -hmm. exactly is done there? Okay. Yeah. So a child advocacy center takes a lot of the trauma out of reporting child sexual abuse. Um, in, in areas that don't have a child advocacy center, the child has to go to a police department and talk about the abuse that happened to them, which if you think about talking to a police person who is charged with interrogation, they're meant to be scary. And even if they try to talk to a child, they're not taught a bit taught about how to ask a child about child sexual abuse in the police academy. This brings everybody together in one place in a child-friendly manner with experts who know how to ask these questions in a non-threatening way. Right. You've created a really wonderful space that makes them feel safe yes. and appropriate for, mm -hmm. for them as children. Um, we'll talk more about it when you come back. When we come back, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Stay with us uh, for our Health Watch with Dr. Marianne Ritchie and our Finance Watch with Fortis Wealth. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. The bowel prep for colonoscopy, a perfect way to end March, Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Colon cancer is very common and probably the most preventable cancer. Mammograms find early cancer. Colonoscopy finds and removes precancerous polyps, small growths. So it's essential that your colon be empty because any remaining solid or even fluid stool can hide small polyps or even cancer. Unfortunately, the prep is not sufficient up to 25% of the time. We can miss growths, the test takes more time and more sedation, and you may have to repeat the test within weeks. We may adjust your PrEP if you have a history of constipation or take medications that can constipate, like pain meds, antidepressants. We used to ask patients to drink four liters, just over a gallon, in less than two hours. That's hard. Now we use a split PrEP. Drink half the night before, half the morning of, finishing five hours in advance. So if your test is 7.30, you finish at 2.30 a.m. Inconvenient, but the split PrEP is easier for the patient, gives a better PrEP, and makes it easier to find polyps. Make sure you read the instructions at least a week before colonoscopy. You may have to adjust your meds, like stopping a blood thinner up to seven days ahead, or you may need antibiotics for an artificial heart valve, maybe a hip or knee replacement. Diabetics, you might have to hold your insulin until after the test because you're fasting. On the morning of the test, do not drink any water. Water in your stomach can cause aspiration and cause you to choke. You should take your heart and blood pressure pills with a tiny sip of water about two hours in advance. Do not chew gum or suck on a peppermint. 
This creates saliva almost like drinking. Divas, the prep is not fun, but get your colonoscopy because peace of mind surely beats cancer, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth and you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie. And this is Terry. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Many of our clients are concerned about saving money for their children's education. One of the most popular vehicles for this seems to be the 529 plan. Exactly what is that, Terry? The name comes from an IRS code section, and their purpose is to help families save for college expenses. The plans are offered by and regulated by individual states. Some states allow a portion to be used for K-12 tuition expenses also. The plans are popular because the investment gains are not taxed if the funds are used for qualified education expenses. Some states offer a state income tax deduction for contributions. The flip side is that if the money is used for another purpose, like a new roof or medical expenses, not only is there tax on the gain, there's also a penalty tax. But you don't have to use the plan sponsored by your home state, is that correct? That's right. You can choose a plan based on the investment options, the costs, and other factors www.savingforcollege.com is a good place to start your research. It's an independent resource that offers information on all available plans. So how do the plans work? Well, let's look at a hypothetical example. Ross and Rachel opened a plan years ago for their first child, Monica. They invested regularly until Monica was a senior in high school. The balance grew to almost $200,000 by 2015. But Monica was awarded scholarships that covered most of her expenses, so she didn't need the money. The beneficiary was switched to their son, Joey, who doesn't need all the funds either, and there's about $50,000 left. The money can be used by Monica or Joey for grad school, a future grandchild's education, or even for Rachel, who's considering another degree so that she can become a teacher. Is there a downside to using a 529 plan? Well, as I mentioned, they have a specific purpose, and there are tax consequences if they are not used for education. We advise clients to have their cash reserves and retirement savings in place before contributing to a 529. Having a 529 can also impact your ability to get financial aid. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm joined this evening by Abby Newman, the CEO of Mission Kids, a child advocacy center of Montgomery County here in the Philadelphia area. And uh, again, I'm so grateful for you to be here. I'm just so very honored um, to have you here. And we were talking before the break about what exactly is a child advocacy center, excuse me. Um, and, and people don't really understand. They know that that bad things happen to kids out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want them to know why Mission Kids is so special. Yeah. 
So what we do is child abuse happens. And until we can figure out a way to prevent it, which so far we haven't been able to, the statistics are that between one in five and one in 10 children are going to be sexually abused before the age of 18. And that includes places like Montgomery County, which is very diverse, but also in many spots, very affluent. And we see kids from across the entire county. Um, Child abuse involves manipulation of the child, and it involves manipulation of the entire community. Child abusers generally hide in plain sight. And they threaten a child, if not actually with words of, I'm going to hurt you or your family if you tell, which they might. They really just say, who's going to believe you? I'm the coach. I'm Jerry Sandusky up at Penn State. Who's going to believe you if you tell against me? And I'm going to say that you wanted it too. So what a child advocacy center does is that we have specially trained forensic interviewers, and our staff are fantastic, who know how to speak with these kids in an age-appropriate, non-leading fashion so they can tell their story in their own words. Mm. And the professionals, the police, children and youth services, and the prosecutors come to us at our center. They sit in a separate room, and by closed-circuit television, they can watch this interview live. So they get the nuances of the interview. They get all the information that they need. And they get to talk to each other in real time about what they're hearing. So you get all these different perspectives so their cases are better as they build them and as they hear them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they hear, gee, this wasn't abuse and it was a mistake, and that's okay too. Mm. Oh, yes. And the, the kids walk out of the center. You could see that they've gotten this secret out. And they stand taller, and you could tell that they've just gotten this weight off them no matter what happens with mm. their case. So um, let's talk about human trafficking, mm-hmm. which is a term I didn't remember talking about or hearing about, you know, as a kid growing up, and it seems to be very much in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it, and what are the statistics, and how does Mission Kids, become, you know, work yeah. with that? Statistics on human trafficking <clears throat> are still being developed. Um, I would give you them, but I don't know that any of them that I've read are really accurate. Okay. And you haven't heard about it when you're a kid because it's really more of a new term. And people tend to associate it a lot with foreign nationals, and certainly there are um, immigrants to this country, those that are brought here both legally and illegally, who were forced um, into servitude, both labor and sex trade. Uh, but there are also many, many American citizens that are stuck in this. And we, what we do know is that Approximately 50% of victims of human sex trafficking get into it as minors. Um, They are targeted as minors. We know that I think 70% or so at least of these victims already have past child sexual abuse or histories in the child foster care system. And so they are very, very vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. so they are approached by traffickers or somebody working for the trafficker um, in a very vulnerable state and they may promise them shelter or some type of monetary things or phones, and they, they trick them. They trick them into selling themselves, and before they know it, they really can't get out, or they hook them on drugs, and they say, fine, you could leave, but you're not getting your drug, and so they can't wow. leave. Wow. Or they say, I'll kill you or I'll kill your family. So we've seen in Montgomery County, we've identified over 20 victims of child trafficking um, at Mission Kids, and we've recently, uh, because it's a problem which is becoming more well-known, we applied for and received a grant from uh, the state of Pennsylvania to, as a county, with Mission Kids as the facilitator of the grant, prepare replicable policies and procedures to be used across the Commonwealth to investigate and respond to human trafficking cases. So how much of what you're doing is being done across the nation? And how are you, you know, working to, to make that happen? 
Um, I've worked with uh, committees in the National Children's Alliance on a national level, working with child advocacy centers in, uh, across the United States, talking about what they're doing and how they work with human trafficking victims and the policies and procedures that they're coming up with. I also work with the Pennsylvania State Chapter of Child Advocacy Centers, helping um, to develop the policies and procedures to deal with these victims across the state of Pennsylvania. So there's, you know, uh, before the show, actually, we were having a conversation and I asked you if you would ever consider politics because, um, you know, there's always this dilemma. We need good people there that can make things happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But gosh, it's it's not a good place to be. It's not a fun place to be. No, it's not a fun thoughts. Yeah. My thoughts are I've I've been asked that before. And it's a very flattering question to get. It really is. Um, But in meeting many different congresspeople at this point and senators, and I, ha- I really have great respect for the majority of them regardless of their party. They are pulled in a thousand different directions and are expected to know so much about everything. Um, and I feel actually that I am able to make more of a difference being in the position that I'm in. The board of directors at Mission Kids is fabulous. They understand the difference that Mission Kids is making in Montgomery County. And so they have allowed me to do this work outside of Montgomery County with the state chapter of child advocacy centers and nationally with the National Children's Alliance. And now on an international level as well, they've encouraged me to go out. I've been very lucky to be invited to speak um, at international conferences on child abuse, uh, first in The Hague with now Judge Risa Vetri Furman about how we developed Mission Kids last year on my own uh, in Prague about how Pennsylvania has changed and developed child advocacy centers since the Jerry Sandusky case at Penn State. We have, uh, we're doing cross-cultural research studies with researchers in Israel and now Scotland. Um, And a project came up which may bring us to Africa. Wow. So between that and the human trafficking, I really feel like I'm doing more now than I could do if yes. I were elected. And and the freedom to do it, yes. right? You know, ha- being in a smaller organization and making the decisions that are right for you and your team and yes. what needs to be done. That's wonderful. I'm glad to know that it's kind of spreading out. Uh, we're going to take one last break. Okay. Stay with us for our Tech Watch with Mary Manzo and our Diversity Watch with Hanadi Shahabuddin. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all, this is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. It makes a world of difference dealing with an unintended mistake than an intended one. We treat the incident with more tolerance and understanding. Dealing fairly with every event requires us to assume the best intentions behind each action. In other words, assuming that the harm we witnessed was not meant by the person to be harmful, even though it ended up being so. Muslims are required to avoid speculations because some of these speculations we make will inflict harm on others. Quote, O you who believe, avoid most of suspicion, for surely suspicion in some cases is a sin. End quote. Chapter 49 in the Quran invites people to stay away from doubtful thoughts and keep the heart clean from these impurities. I find that extremely helpful to navigate some of the looks and attitudes I get as a Muslim woman wearing the headscarf on the streets or in the supermarket. People stare for various reasons, but to me, they stare because the way I'm dressed is unfamiliar to them. And even when they express a bluntly negative thought or shout out, it's because they have been misinformed. This helps me face the world with more love and empathy. I was having a haircut one day in a private area in a public hair salon when a hairdresser and her client started ranting about Muslims and their practices. I sank in my seat and listened carefully to a conversation that never happens in front of me. 
After my haircut, I asked to speak to the hairdresser, but she was busy with a client, so I left her a note saying, I heard you express your thoughts about Muslims and was wondering where you got your information from. I would like to be your new Muslim friend. And then I left my name and phone number to invite her for a cup of coffee and chat. That hairdresser never replied back. But thousands of others reached out when I published my story on Facebook. I won hearts when I assumed the best. Assuming good intentions is today's prophetic ethic. Now don't forget to connect with me on hanarispeaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Mansa from Pathways Consulting Group. Did you know that almost 90% of new moms are millennials? Millennials' age range is roughly 18 to 35. These moms are very aware of things like ingredients and foods, for example. Nearly half of them feel that natural, wholesome ingredients are an important thing to consider before buying products for their families. They're inclined to purchase products from brands that understand what matters to them as a parent and ones that other parents may have recommended. If they're like my daughter, who's a new mother, they research on blogs and social media before buying things like formula, diapers, strollers. They visit online parenting communities where they can share information and get advice. And the most visited sites are Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Their home PCs and laptops collect dust as most of them are using smartphones. Once they've done their research, many millennial moms do half or more of their shopping online. When I was a young mom, my access to information was limited to the Dr. Spock book, my pediatrician, and other experienced moms. Some would say that having that amount of access to information could be considered information overload. As example, when I Google what baby formula is the most natural, I have 12,400,000 results to search through and countless blogs. When I was a young mom, I had whatever was on the shelf and my pediatrician to guide me. Both have their pros and cons, and I wonder if I had had the access that young moms have today, would I have done things differently? For example, would I have leveraged the online shopping experience at a convenience? I do love Amazon. I might have felt a sense of comfort to read about others' parenting experiences. But for the most part, I don't think I would have changed my basic instinct and gut reactions to things. As a mom, for most of us, that comes naturally, regardless of whether we are the millennial mom or the baby boomer. What do you think? I'd like to know. Email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. It's great to be with Abby Newman this evening, the CEO of Mission Kids. And we cannot tell your life story without mentioning the fact that you're a mother and a (laughs) wife and you have three girls. Yes, I do. So what a great example you are for them. Thank you. Um, And they're all teenagers, I believe. No, they're all adult women. Oh, they're adult women. Tell me, tell me about each one. And tell me um, in the role that you are in now, what you hope they take away from watching you do this work. Okay. I hope that they each find a way to do, to do what fulfills them individually, not what I do, but what fulfills them in a manner that makes a difference somehow, some way. 
and I think that they're all doing it. They're finding their own paths. My oldest daughter is um, working now in Washington, D.C. for a large consulting firm as she's finishing her Ph.D. in industrial and organizational psychology. Wow. Looking to make a difference in how people work in the workforce to have a happier workplace environment. That's since, a great field. Yeah, we all spend yes. so much time at our jobs, no matter where they are. So yes. she's looking to make that better. We've come so far with, um, you know, where and how we work, you mm-hmm. know, when years ago and it was just the cubby yes. and the in the very cold and, you know, dark mm-hmm. buildings. And now it's all about being happy and, and invigorated in yes. our workspace. Yes. That's great. Exactly. Uh, my middle daughter at the ripe old age of 27 has already had a career at the State Department and is now in medical school in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. And she is looking very hard to find the best path for her to make okay. the biggest difference that she can. Wow. And so she's on very unique path. Where is what school? She's at Thomas Jefferson Medical oh, School. Okay, very good. Yeah, but yeah, so that's great. And my youngest daughter is working at a consulting firm in Philadelphia, Schultz & Williams, um, and they are a very unique consulting firm because they actually consult with nonprofits in order oh. to help make a difference through various nonprofits. Um, yeah, so I know that some of her clients are environmental clients as well, which is where her passion lies. Mm. Yeah, very. You must be proud. Uh, <laughs> You've done a good job. Mom. Oh, thank you so much. They're all wonderful, and they all make me smile and glow. And they're all they're all just fabulous, fabulous women. Well, you're you're all you're very engaged, and uh. you know, in life, and you've accomplished a, a great amount. Tell me a little bit more about you when you're not working. Um, what do you do to to um, get away from the stress? Mm-hmm. And you know, what brings you joy outside of work? So I spoke about my three daughters glowingly. Uh, I've been married for 35 years, so I think I have to bring my husband up. Yes. <laughs> uh, my husband, Jack Garden, he has a different last name for mine, which sometimes is good, sometimes not so good. It depends on the situation. <laughs> and what does he do? He's a cardiologist in oh, Philadelphia at the Heart wow. Center. Philadelphia, yeah. Very impressive family all Thank the way you. around. Thank you very much. Um, he keeps me very grounded a lot of the time. Uh, we love to travel together. Uh, what's really wonderful for me is that as I do some international trips now from work, he loves just coming with me and watching me. Oh, good. Which it's is how really, wonderful that he can. Yeah, which is really nice. And we love to travel in our personal time as well. So I love traveling. I love meeting people. And I think that's the most fun is not just traveling to a resort, but traveling and really getting to know who lives there, what the differences are internationally and in the United States. So we've traveled to many different parts. Um, we've learned that the South, two of my daughters went to school in Tennessee, and so we've learned that the South is very, very different from the Northeast and meeting people, knowing what it's like. My mother's since moved to North Florida, which is its own different type of uh, culture going on down there. Yeah. So what is your nationality? Uh, my background is that I'm Jewish and mm-hmm. uh, I guess Polish and also some South African relatives. I had a great grandfather who emigrated through South Africa wow. many years ago. And okay. so I've recently gone back and found my South African connections. Wow. Which is really, I- that's a whole story in its own in its own right, and yes. it's fantastic. Very exciting. Now, you mentioned that, you know, your work might take you to Africa. What mm-hmm. part? Um, the project which is coming up is both in so- two of them, one in South Africa, and the other might bring us to the African Union in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, um, wow. talking about how to come up with a team response to child abuse through empowering women. We had an intern at Mission Kids last summer from South Africa. I call her an intern, but she's an attorney in South Africa. She has a nonprofit there called the Women Lead Movement to empower women. And we've developed a project. What better way to empower women than helping them stand up for their kids who are being abused? That's excellent. You know, we talk sometimes on the show about 
why, as U.S. citizens, are we focused so much on helping children, empowering women, you know, abroad? Mm -hmm. and, and the truth of the matter is they don't have what we have here, right. right? They just don't have those opportunities and resources that we have. Right. And the world is getting smaller and smaller. And, um, you know, somebody said to me recently that South Africa, uh, Africa in general, has bigger problems than child abuse. They need an energy grid. They need a computer grid. And my response was, you know, it's that old thing, you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, you teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. Well, if we help these kids and we help empower these women to help these kids and reduce the trauma from child abuse, then they can build their own power grid. I love that, right? How can you, you, you have to be healthy physically and emotionally and mentally yes. so that you can become adult that will create and do things for your own community. And it's such a small world that what you can't say that what happens in Africa or someplace else doesn't affect the United States. That's right. And if it doesn't affect us today, it's going to affect us tomorrow or our children's generation. And so it behooves everybody to make changes not only where we live, but wherever we can. Yeah. You know, we just have a minute left. I want to give you an opportunity to just share. Uh, do, do you live by a mantra? Do you have a, a one-line advice that you would want to share with our women listeners? Follow your gut. Don't be afraid to take chances. And you just have to follow that inner voice. So many times in my life I've done things without actually knowing why I'm doing them. And they all have made a difference. And don't be afraid to go out and do it. And where, where did that ability in you come from where you kind of don't worry about what others are doing and which direction they're going? Is that a confidence that you always had? It's, it's genetic. I just have always, you, you got you to gotta do what you feel is right at that time and just do it. Lastly, if, if anyone is uh, wanting to be in touch to help yes. in any way, how should they reach out? Oh, fantastic. Uh, a. Newman at missionkidscac.org is my email, www.missionkidscac.org. Okay. All right. Excellent. Thank Thanks so much, Thank Abby. So I appreciate much. it. That's Thank it, you everyone. So much for me. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much to my sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. And thanks, Frank Canal, for helping me with the show. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.